Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 4, Episode 7, The Snow Queen. The air date for this episode was November 9th, 2014. The writers were the Kitsowitz. And the director was Billy Gearhart. Every time I hear the name Gearhart, I oh, go, think of, of uh, But Dr. Daddy, Will's I want to play with the dead. But Daddy, <laughs> but Daddy, I want to play God Daddy. Anyway, the title <laughs> card featured a kite blowing in a snowstorm. So we begin this episode in Arendelle of the Past, where young Ingrid, Helga, and Gerda are chasing a kite that later gets stuck in a tree. After they pull it down, the girls begin to argue over who gets ownership of the kite ribbon. These children are just awful. Eh, they're princesses. What are you going to do? <laughs> the kite's owner arrives, but instead of thanking them, he attempts to kidnap them. And I'm just like, sir, there's one of you and three of them. <laughs> like, you don't have an ice cream truck or a puppy or any of like the like the tools of the trade of kidnapping. You're just like, I'm going to ransom you. <laughs> like very snidely whiplash. And I'm Look just like. little though. They're little. So he Ingrid is like a he like 13. She's like 13. I'm no. 13 <laughs> year olds get kidnapped. She's a child. A 13 year old is a child. She is in danger. Even if what happens, what is about to happen didn't happen. I feel like they could have just headbutted him until he you know, let go and ran away. I don't know. I feel like he would have at least taken one and like run for it. I feel like those children were in legitimate danger. Okay, fair. Oh, yes. No, no, no. He could have gotten one. I don't think he could have gotten all three, though. So he successfully grabs Gerda and Helga and does a hook kick on Ingrid, which I had to look up. I was like, oh, was that a suplex? No, that was a hook kick. But her powers unleash itself uh, for the very first time. It freezes a tree, causing a branch to break off and fall on the kite owner, killing him dead. But not before he calls Ingrid a monster. I mean, I might be a monster, but you're the one crushed under a tree, loser. <laughs> but seriously, though, these kids were in real danger. He surely would have gotten away with at least one of the smaller girls, if not two, which is terrifying. And the man straight up gut kicks Ingrid and then he called her a monster for fighting back like I'm so glad this guy was crushed by a tree because fuck this dude yeah really she's like oh you're a monster and she really like takes that to heart and I'm like girl he tried to kidnap you and your sisters like he's clearly like, honey, the monster you don't, you don't need to put any water in anything it says uh, yeah really Stunned by Ingrid's powers, the sisters decide to keep it a secret as Ingrid is worried that this will somehow impair her ability to become queen. And that just sort of made me go, girl, what? Because I know if I suddenly had ice powers unleash and I was the one in line about to become queen, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is going to guarantee that no one messes with me. But, you know, whatever. Magic is not as, uh, I, I think, commonplace in Arendelle yeah, as it is in, about, in the Enchanted you know, Forest. Being burned at the stake or something. Something, I don't know. Thrown in jail. I mean, they, they respect the rock trolls. Yeah, I think we know enough to know that magic in humans is not common in Arendelle. And I mean, look at, in the film Frozen itself, 
when Elsa shows her powers at the coronation party, like people are scared. And it's not like an immediate witch hunt. It eventually pretty much turns into a witch hunt due to the Duke of Wesselton and, and Hans. But people are scared of her when her power is revealed. That's true. Helga and Gerda promise to never see their sister as a monster. And to seal their pact, they place the ribbons from the kite on their wrists, vowing to protect and support each other forever. We flash forward to present-day Storybrooke, where the Snow Queen has set up shop in the clock tower and conjures up her mirror for her latest plot. Meanwhile, Regina is in her vault attempting to find out the answers in the fairy tale book when Robin Hood shows up <laughs> to tell her that his heart is still with Regina. But Regina tells him that he should be with Marion and wants him out of her life once and for all. Regina orders him to start thinking about his wife and start forgetting about her. And I just have to say, Regina, good for you. Robin, shut the fuck up. I, I'm just so tired of this sanctimonious jerk, honestly. Like, please, Robin, listen to Regina and keep your distance. It's what she needs right now. And you're not listening to her. And it's so frustrating and unfair to her. It's making me really angry. Yeah, I'm just like, dude, go work out your shit with somebody else. Like, call Archie and get some help or something. You know, yeah. like, this is not her problem. So stop making it her problem. You are her problem. Basically, yeah. Otherwise, she's doing very good right now. Yeah. <laughs> Like you are stressing her out, dude. She's, she's gonna so fall far. off. She's gonna fall off the good guy wagon if you keep doing this, you know. And I like her on the good guy wagon. She Meanwhile, at the sheriff's station, Emma has a possible plan to neutralize Ingrid's powers, as Belle has helpfully translated and, and transcribed a spell from Elvish text for Emma and Elsa to learn. Elsa believes that once the Snow Queen is neutralized. They can talk to her about Anna's whereabouts and get real answers. It's very positive thinking. At the mention of Anna, Emma inquires if the other princess has magic, as Ingrid only seems to be interested in them due to their magic, which, you know, Elsa confirms, no, Anna does not have magic. Elsa asks Emma if it's hard when her non-magical family looks at her differently, but Emma replies, they don't. Elsa's like, must be nice to have parents who accept and love you. And Emma's just like, my parents rock. Sorry about it. <laughs> Which is why Mary, Margaret, and David will absolutely adopt you, Elsa. Welcome to um, the family. No, <laughs> this is giving me war flashbacks to the horrible canceled adults adopting adults show on TLC. What? The guy on the show clearly had the wrong intentions. And I felt so bad for those women. And apparently got canceled after like the first episode or two. We watched a Chad Chad video on it, but yikes. <laughs> Well, then Mary Margaret can be mom friend. Mom friend to all. Mom friend to all. Yeah, sure would be nice if there was like an older mother figure that people could actually, you know, rely on. <laughs> Alas, there isn't. <laughs> all we have is granny who, you know. It's a fucking battle axe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, so, we had we had a nice one, but then... Uh, but then she got thrown out a window. Yeah, we had Johanna. No, she had to go get the bigger paycheck at Downton Abbey. <laughs> but not before getting defenestrated. R.I.P. Right. Johanna. You were a real one. Emma and Elsa test out the candle spell to no avail. Elsa is keen to try again, but Emma has to babysit her brother, which is very cute. We cut to a living room inside the B&B, I assume, because that's pretty much the same set, where actually is holding a mommy and me class for new mothers, among them Mary Margaret and Aurora. And I still think Regina should be leading this class. 
I missed seeing Aurora, even though this was only like 30 seconds of screen time. I'm glad she's here. And I was really tickled by her calling the TV a devil box. I thought that was a very fun moment. Mm -hmm. Emma arrives to take charge of baby Neil, pleased to briefly catch up with Ashley, who is enjoying her job teaching other, quote, new mothers. Emma is taken aback by this, with Mary Margaret quick to acknowledge that, of course, this isn't her first time as a mother. Emma interrupts her, understanding that technically it is the first time her mother has had the opportunity to take care of her baby. The women stare horrified as the milk in the bottle Emma has been holding begins to boil. The sheriff explains that her magic must still be revved up from practicing the candle spell earlier and goes to take baby Neil only to have Mary Margaret take a pointed step back. Man, this little moment, it really made me feel for Emma because that must have stung. And at first I thought the step back reaction was out of character for Snow. But the more I think about it, honestly, her flight or fight response must be so high after all the trauma she's been through over the years, especially as far as babies are concerned. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just second nature. And, you know, if Emma had stuck around, I'm sure Snow being Snow, she would have apologized. But it was a hard moment to watch. It was like I I felt so bad for both of them. Right. Because Snow's is like an instinctual thing. She's also probably not getting a lot of sleep because of the baby. And right. She has a lot of trauma associated with her baby being taken from her. So I get that. And then Emma just being like, what? You know, feeling like out of place in this situation, this like warm, caring mommy in me environment that she never got to experience, you know. She's doing a great job being like a total adult about it, you know, and holding that in and we're not holding it in. But you know what I mean? Processing it. But yeah, that look that she gives her like, oh, it's horrible. I agree with you. So they stare at each other for a tense moment before Emma's cell phone rings. David is on the other end, alerting Emma that Ingrid is in the clock tower. This scene is so weird because Ashley is shown to have a baby that is the same age as baby Neil. And like, that has to be a second child, right? Like, she was pregnant in season one. There's no way her child would be the same age as baby Neil unless time moves even more fucked in Storybrooke than it already seems to. But then if it is a second kid, like, dang, she got a second one out fast. Yeah, I think it has to be a second kid. Like, there's literally been canonically years have passed in canon. Like, I think about two years have passed Mm -hmm. since, since the start of the show. So I'm just guessing that she cannot get enough of her Twitch streamer, Prince Thomas, or whatever we named him back in episode four of the show. And like, they went on to baby number two. Oh my God, I forgot about Prince Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of had the same thought. I was like, that can't be Alexandra. No, um, I think it's the second. It's, it has I think it, second it has baby. to be a second baby. Yeah. And the fact that she's teaching a new mother's class, like that means she's like had experience. She's like gone through these things. And also the fact that, canonically two years has passed by it's been mm-hmm. like you know three actual years of the show airing but two years i think canonically have passed by right um, so emma and elsa race to the clock tower and use the candle spell on ingrid creating a fiery pair of handcuffs which neutralize the snow queen's power or does it dun, dun, dun. we return to arendelle of the past where a handful of years have passed since the initial scene The sisters are preparing to attend their father King Harold's 70th birthday bash. Helga and Gerda are ready, but Ingrid is still dressed in plain clothes as she insists on not attending. Judging from their conversation, this is a regular habit of Ingrid to avoid crowds in case her powers unleash itself again. 
As Ingrid places a beautiful necklace on Helga, she tells her sister that tonight is extra special because Helga's suitor is there and Ingrid does not wish to risk ruining a special moment. She insists that they are to go and have fun. Later that evening, Ingrid looks on from afar as Helga introduces her date, the Duke of Wesselton, to their father before returning to her room after her loneliness causes it to snow inside around her. I guess it's comforting to know that the Duke of Wesselton has always been a goddamn clown. So I had forgotten who this dude was, right? And I was like, this sounds very familiar. And then at first I thought, I was like, is this Hans's dad? I don't know. So I looked him up and I was like, oh, he's like the secondary antagonist from Frozen. I was Alan like, Tudyk. Or he's not Alan Tudyk in this. He's not, he is he's not Alan, Alan Tudyk. Tudyk. You take that back. I mean, he is in Frozen. I mean, he's voiced by Alan Tudyk. Yeah. He's voiced by Alan Tudyk. I just like that they gave this secondary antagonist like more of like a back history. And I don't mean that like in a, oh, that's good. This is a good character. I just mean like, oh, even more history, you know, being a jerk. I really enjoyed the image of Helga just awkwardly and like painfully smiling on the dance floor while the Duke of Wesselton just like dances at her. And overall, I really enjoyed Helga during her limited screen time. She seems like she was honestly the the best person among the three sisters. Mm -hmm. In the present day, Emma and Elsa begin to question Ingrid at the sheriff's station. Ingrid easily gets under Elsa's skin, so Emma takes over, sending the Arendelle Queen to assist Hook and David. As soon as Emma sits down, Ingrid tells her how proud she is of her and that she is grateful they got to know one another when Emma was a child. Emma scoffs at this sweet talk, but Ingrid tells her to use her superpower to check that she is telling the truth. Emma insists that she isn't going to be Ingrid's de facto sister replacement, but Ingrid insists that there will come a point when they will be a family once again and Emma will willingly let her go. I love Emma Swan so much. Just the sardonic tone in her voice as she calls out that Ingrid wants her to be her buddy sister thing. <laughs> like her hard ass side comes out less frequently now, but when it does, it's like an old friend. You know that like Jennifer Morrison keeps it in mind that Emma has been doing this kind of stuff for years, like well before Storybrooke ever came into her life. And it's like, yeah, it's like slipping on an old, comfortable pair of gloves, right? It's like, you know, this isn't her first rodeo and it feels that way, which is great. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed that scene, too. Meanwhile, Regina is reading Henry's storybook, noting all of the happy endings between lovers when Henry interrupts dressed very smartly, asking for help with his tie. He is dressed nice at his grandpa's insistence, as it is his first day as Mr. Gold's apprentice at the shop. See, this is the kind of storyline I generally want for Rumpelstiltskin. I want him turned face, that's a wrestling term, by the way, mentoring his grandson, the last living link he has to his son, Bay. Like, give the show pony a breather before you make him do tricks again. You know what I mean? Like, it's old hat. I'm tired of bad guy Rumple. Okay, but this is leaving out the absolute brilliant comic delivery that was Regina going, why are you dressed so nice? And Henry deadpan saying, I'm getting married. And you can tell <laughs> Regina buys it for a second before he's like, mom, no, I'm just going to work. <laughs> yes, that was so good. It was the best. Married. Honestly, the scene between Henry and Regina might have been my favorite in the episode. She's just so proud of Henry. It's so cute. Henry comments on Regina having her scary face on as she figuratively tore through the storybook. Regina says she is moving on, that whatever she and Robin had is officially over and done with. But the next time a happy ending knocks at her door, she will be ready. For now, Operation Mongoose is her full focus. 
and oh, Henry is so proud of her. And he's so so supportive. He's such the best son ever. Back at the sheriff's station, the questioning continues. As Emma wishes to know why Ingrid wants herself and Elsa to be part of her family. A family she, Emma, already possesses. Ingrid says that while Emma's blood family may love her, they also fear her. Emma denies this, insisting that her family loves her, powers and all. Ingrid nods sagely and says she believed that once about her own family. We flash back to the night of King Harold's birthday, where Gerda and Helga return to find Ingrid preparing to run away. After assuring Ingrid that she is not a monster, for probably like the millionth time, and that running away won't fix anything, Gerda suggests visiting a sorcerer in Misthaven. Of course, it's Rumpelstiltskin. We flash forward to the present where David Hook and Elsa look at the mirror and see nothing but their own darling selves. Belle arrives and notes instantly that the mirror is a fake because, you know, it didn't start doing its weird negging bullshit that it did on her. This prompts David and Hook to go and dash off to warn Emma. It was nice of Ingrid to make everyone a giant ring light, though. Mm-hmm. Elsa Hook, David, and Belle are the next big beauty bloggers, and I would subscribe to their channel. I would, too. Hook's got his eyeliner tips. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's just David going, you look great. I'm just here to support you. Yeah, he's, he's, the, he's the affirmation part of the channel, right? Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. However, the sheriff's station has been frozen over in ice. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, at Granny's Diner, Robin Hood is throwing darts in a most pouty, manly way when he spots Will Scarlet. I love that Will tries to do a walk in and immediately walk back out (laughs) all Abe Simpson thing here. It made me laugh. It was so good. Bless Will Scarlet. I love him so much. Yeah, yeah. The one with the bordello. Mm hmm. Yeah. Where he's just like, like just like puts it, hat it, on the hat rack, immediately <laughs> takes hat back off, puts it back on, and leaves. Hey, Grandpa! <laughs> <laughs> the two make up for lost time over their lost loves, as well as to patch things up. Robin tells the story of how he met Marion and how she inspired his life of robbing from the rich to give to the poor. When Robin asks Will if Anastasia was worth ruining his life for. Will has some terrible, horrible pearls of man wisdom saying, quote, if you find someone you're willing to ruin your entire life for, it's always worth it, end quote. And I'm just like, oh my God, do not tell that to children. I'm glad Will is in this scene to be cute and sweet and perfect because Robin is just awful in it. Like, he's so snide about Will ruining his life for a girl. Like, he isn't being a manipulative two-timing jerk this whole time. Like, his whole condescending talk to Will is simultaneously rude and misogynistic, and I am just so done with this guy. In so many ways, Will is the better man in this scene. Like, the way Will talked about Marion feels like Will had more respect for who Marion was than Robin did. I liked this moment of getting to know Marion through Will's eyes. She seems like an interesting character who the show never really showed us before this. Right. Over at Mr. Gold's shop, Henry is dutifully sweeping the storefront. He asks his grandfather if it isn't time to learn something more magical. Gold tells his grandson that today is his lucky day as he is going to give him a potion to transform something old into something new. Surprise, surprise, it's furniture polish. Nah, grandpa made a funny. He sends Henry to the back room just before David, Hook, Belle, and Elsa burst into the shop and ask for help. At Belle's pleas alone, Rumpel decides to help, saying he will be right behind them. 
They exit, except for Hook, who eyes Mr. Gold suspiciously. He correctly surmises that Gold's blasé demeanor toward Ingrid means that the two villains have a history. Gold is, unsurprisingly, not forthcoming. In the Enchanted Forest of the Past, Rumpelstiltskin is meeting with the three Arendelle princesses about Ingrid's strange powers. He offers her lessons in lieu of taking away her powers altogether, which I absolutely love. I sure you don't want lessons. <laughs> Why be my but, student? Yeah, it won't be my student. But, you know, Ingrid remains very steadfast. Rumpel tells her that their sisterly bond is free and all-powerful, but the magic required to suppress the powers will come with a price. Do a shot or whatever. <laughs> but Ingrid really wants to get rid of these powers. So he produces a pair of magical gloves, which will do the trick, and an urn, which can be used as a failsafe if shit hits the fan. For these items, Rumpel asks them to trade their ribbons, as ordinary tokens can come to possess their own magic. Despite Gerda and Helga's insistence that their love is stronger than any magic that they're going to trade for, Ingrid fearfully forces them to hand over the ribbons. Cool. So he's like, here's a placebo and a jar to shove yourself in. What a turd. <laughs> I will have to say, it's like... He gave them free advice that was like, your sisterly bond is actually way the hell more powerful and it's free. Like, you're not going to have to barter with me, you know, to do anything about it. Just believe in each other. He gave them a chance. I'm just saying. I'm Chell, and I've been leaving my window open since I was 11 years old in the hopes I would be given the dark gift. You can find me blasting the bodacious soundtrack to The Lost Boys and laughing at memes taking a bite out of the Vampire Chronicles. I'm Tori, and I've been hoping to run into a vampire since I was 12. But like, one I can befriend, not one who will kill me. You can find me reading almost any book with a vampire in it and being angry about the final seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampires have ruined our lives. That's why we're making a podcast about it. Our podcast discusses vampire books, movies, TV shows, tropes, folklore, and more. If it's about the fanged undead, we want to talk about it. So tune in to Vampires Ruin My Life, available wherever you find podcasts. At present-day Storybrooke Sheriff's Station, Ingrid continues to emotionally manipulate Emma, dredging up old wounds of abandonment and loneliness to instill doubt and anger. Ingrid claims that Emma is more a savior than a daughter to her parents, and it will only take one simple misunderstanding and accident for Emma's family to turn on her. As Emma's frustration grows, the water in a drinking glass on the table between them begins to boil culminating in an enraged outburst which causes a hole blasted through the wall of the station. Ingrid's mind games have caused Emma to completely lose control over her powers. Elated, Ingrid frees herself from her cuffs and proudly declares that Emma's new powers are beautiful before she turns herself into a blizzard and flies off. Props to Jennifer Morrison and Elizabeth Mitchell's acting in this scene, because they both killed it. Stunned, Emma walks out of the hole to survey the damage she caused just as David, Mary Margaret, Hook, Elsa, Henry, Mr. Gold, and Belle show up. Emma tries to warn everyone to stay away, 
But when Hook touches her, she causes an electrical shortage and a streetlight to conk David on the head as he heroically pushed his bestie Hook out of harm's way. What a guy. He's so charming. I know. I really love that David saved his BFF Hook. I was like, oh, so dashing. Emma runs away after a horrified Mary Margaret shouts at her before instantly regretting it. But it is too late and Emma drives off. From afar, Ingrid smirks. Honestly, Mary Margaret just has like an angry mom voice. Like when a kid is caught misbehaving. It wasn't even horrified sounding. She was basically just like, Emma, no, bad. And it honestly made me laugh really hard. Yeah, it's it's really just like a visceral reaction, not at all like a conscientious response of, I am firmly blaming you, you know? Yeah, yeah. it was very much a motherly or even a teacherly scolding, like a, hey, stop doing that. You're going to accidentally hurt someone. It didn't feel like a horrified reaction or a scared reaction at all. It was like a don't run with scissors. I'm afraid you'll hurt yourself kind of reaction. Mm hmm. But of course, Emma doesn't know what that's like. She right. doesn't know how to, you know, process those kind of responses. Right. She didn't grow up with that. Back in Arendelle, the Duke sees Ingrid sitting in a gazebo and they make introductions. Ingrid goes to fetch Helga for him, but instead he proves to be a power-hungry menace and tries to seduce Ingrid very sloppily, who then uses her power to push him away and fuck it good for her. When Helga arrives... The Duke lies to her about what happened, but Helga proves to be a real one and ain't no mister gonna come between these sisters. I really like that Helga doesn't believe him for a second. Helga really is a real one. She turns down his marriage proposal and promises to send him straight back to Weaselton. Uh, Wesselton. Honestly, the implication that the Duke of Wesselton tried to hook up with two of Anna's aunts before ultimately trying to hook up with her is pretty nasty and makes me deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, it makes him an extra creep. I mean, he was mm -hmm. already a creep. He sent his men to kill Elsa in Frozen itself. But he's an extra creep now. Mm -hmm. Like a triple creep. As the Duke tells the two that he plans to expose Ingrid to all of Arendelle, Helga proclaims that she loves Ingrid and so shall everyone in Arendelle. As his threats grow, an increasingly agitated Ingrid attempts to freeze the Duke, but he pulls Helga in front of him, causing Ingrid to freeze her instead. Stunned, Ingrid kneels by her frozen sister, and Helga's body crumbles into a pile of ice shards. Fucking brutal. Man, I remembered that this happened, and I still wasn't prepared. I was like, oh, this is dark. This is really dark. Poor Helga. She was better than any of them. And imagine if Elsa had had Helga in her life. She'd have actually had a supportive adult to, like, look out for her. Also, I'm just like, why did that happen? Like, I don't understand. I figured it was because, you know, Ingrid is a different person than Elsa. Elsa's, uh -huh. her her anger bursts have typically been, like, protective. Ingrid's have been like, this person is bad and I need to attack them back. So mm. probably the intention was to kill the Duke, right? right. Um, like, she, she killed the kidnapper. That is her defense mechanism. That's how I read this scene, is that okay. she sent a killing blow at the Duke. Mm -hmm. Maybe not intentionally, but like that is that's how like her power is interpreted or like her intention or whatever i don't mean ingrid as a child or as a young adult or as a young woman was dark what i mean is ingrid's powers show themselves violently in dark events you know she kills the kite man after he tries to kidnap her and her sisters and then she strikes out at the duke of wesselton after he assaults her 
She has these violent moments, these darker reactions, but that is because she is faced with these dark and violent events. You know, let's put a pin in that. I want to revisit that thought at the end. In present day Storybrooke, Regina <laughs> has had a wardrobe change, oddly, right? Like she did, right? Well, she had gone home between. Well, uh, yeah. But she, I mean, had, she had taken off the jacket. Oh, was she wearing this dress under the jacket? Man, that jacket hit a lot because I was like, That's my damn. Guess. That's okay. my guess. I don't okay, know. we're just going to go with that. Changed. We're just going to assume. In present day Storybrooke, Regina is still in her vault when Robin appears again. Girl, you really need to install lock on that crypt because Jesus Christ. He hammers on about his code, be truthful, righteous, and good. But today is just not one of those days. He then grabs Regina, manhandles her, to be honest, with them meaty hands on her ears, Jesus Christ, and smooches her like it's the cover of a filthy romance novel. And I guess Regina's into it because she responds, ugh, Robin, just fuck off. This is so manipulative, and honestly, fuck this show for acting like it isn't. I'm really mad that they did the character of Robin Hood dirty by this whole plot. Like, sir, you are not my Robin Hood. My Robin Hood is a fox. A literal fox. <laughs> He's kind and funny. Meanwhile, at the loft, Mary Margaret is putting baby Neil down in his crib when David, Elsa, and Hook return after an unsuccessful search for Emma. Everyone present suspects that the Snow Queen has succeeded in turning Emma against them. Mary Margaret blames herself, stating that no one wants their family to see them as a monster. And today, she and David failed their daughter. Meanwhile, a terrified Emma sits in her parked bug in the woods overlooking the town. Returning to the past, Gerda arrives at the terrible scene, horrified by what Ingrid did to Helga. I mean, unintentionally. Refusing to believe her and fearing that Ingrid has become a danger to everyone around her, which, again, what? Gerda takes the urn and traps a sobbing Ingrid inside. Damn, this all escalated so quickly. It's like a heist movie when they all turn on each other. It's like the goddamn lighthouse scene in Battle Royale. It's totally the lighthouse scene in Battle Royale. Ugh. Later, Gerda goes to Grand Pobby and asks him to make a potion that will cause the residents of Arendelle to forget Ingrid and Helga ever existed in order to protect the future of the kingdom. He warns her that the truth has a funny way of coming out one way or the other, and that magic comes with a price, but he ultimately agrees to make the memory potion. So it all still then boils down to Gerda being like a nightmare person. Again, sticking a pin in it. Okay, in present day Storybrooke, Mr. Gold finally receives a visit from the Snow Queen, who is ready to make a deal with him as she has now figured out what his plan is. Ingrid knows that Gold wants to leave Storybrooke with Belle and to be free of the Dark One dagger while the Snow Queen wants Storybrooke all to herself and claims that she has the secret to the missing ingredient that Gold will need. She then asks for the ribbons as her price, and as he gives them to her, the Snow Queen whispers the secret into his ear. You know, it's really a testament to how good of an actress Elizabeth Mitchell is because she can almost make a line like, I want my ribbons back, not sound as dumb as it actually is because that line is very stupid. Then Mr. Gold says that not only can he procure that final ingredient, but he will do so with great pleasure. End credits. This episode was fine, but I was not even remotely surprised that it was written and directed by men because there's a few moments of misogyny that really made me go ick, as I mentioned before. It at least actually serves a purpose and moves the plot along, so it was better than the last few. Even with the ick, it didn't have anything as heinous as the last episode's gross gaslighting fest. 
I still feel like it suffers from kind of making Elsa whiny and useless when attempting to adapt Frozen, in which she's the main character, which is like, if you didn't want to do Frozen, don't do Frozen. You could just do the Snow Queen. And the whole Robin Hood thing continues to just be disgusting and infuriating, and I'm over it, and I'm over him. Other than that, it's fine. My only other takeaway was just Helga and Ingrid are both blonde and blue-eyed and winter colors, and then you have red-haired, autumn-colored Gerda, and I just want to know if there was maybe a handsome guard on their father's retinue? A dashing mailman, maybe? (laughs) My friend has a blonde sister, a raven-haired sister, and she is ginger. They all have the same parents. So genetics are just funny that way. It was just a funny joke, Chell. I know. (laughs) I mostly liked the episode. I thought the interrogation scenes with Emma and Ingrid were really well acted, well written. I found the Ingrid flashbacks to be pretty engaging. There was a lot of small fun moments. Like I loved Regina and Henry's exchange when she tied his tie. And I liked Snow talking to Aurora about DVDs. And Aurora, in turn, proclaiming that she wouldn't touch that devil box again. I think Lynn has already done a pretty good job of outlining the parts of this episode that don't sit right right with me as well. But besides that, I think this was a pretty solid one. A lot stronger than last week's. And overall, I think works really well, being this very important setup episode before the upcoming two-parter. This episode was a ride. The things that I stuck a pin in that I kind of want to like talk about with you two, though, are the three sisters. And you know how you said like, you know, they set up Ingrid to be like darker and stuff. I don't think she started that way, though. I mean, clearly, like these little girls are like frolicking and they're, you know, sweet little princesses and stuff. Like there was no indication that she had some secret darkness within her. I think that sort of developed and manifested over her time in the urn. You know, for her having to ruminate for God knows how long that she was stuck in there. And, you know, it turned her cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, which is why she's hatched like this plan. But, you know, otherwise they've shown her to be nothing but like sweet, if a little maybe mousy even. I do think Ingrid was a kind person before the urn. She clearly loved her sisters and cared about the well-being of those around her. But I think her sudden self-defense magic is a reflection of what happened to her. And these two violent traumas she experienced were reflected back at her attackers with a mirror of their own violence. With Gerda, I'm just like, okay, playing my own devil's advocate. We never know really how we're going to react, right? In a moment of true panic and emergency and devastation. I will give her that. But again, like these three were so tight and so supportive of one another that it was like this insane, crazy misunderstanding that just escalated. And I mean, maybe because we know because of Elsa that we're just supposed to inherently figure like, oh, she's kind of (laughs) scummy. You know, she believes more in like repression rather than actually like figuring things out. But I just kind of wish they had established that in her childhood. I feel like we can turn to the entire reason why the song Fixer Upper actually works in Frozen, which is... When did this song take place? It's the song when they go visit visit the trolls and they're like, oh, you guys are getting married. And it's the weakest song and you're kind of like, why does this exist? And it really exists for one part, which is basically the thesis of the issues in the drama. People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. Like Mm. people are making bad choices due to fear. 
right? Right, right. And that's that's what's happened here as well. You know, Ingrid's attack at the Duke, he just assaulted her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, she's going to be terrified. And so her attack ended up being a little more brutal than intended. She doesn't have control of her powers. She hasn't been trained in her powers. And what ended up being a killing blow, right? And then Gerda, she is terrified her sister just killed her other sister she didn't see it she doesn't know what happened and before she even has a chance to like learn what happened she goes for the urn right and then it makes it seem like elsa having her powers is almost the magic taking its price like retribution to gerda like well you punished your sister for this and now you're gonna have a child with like these powers Oh, I didn't even think about it that way. I thought it was. Oh, I thought about it instantly. I was like, oh, man, that doesn't sit right with me. I don't think Elsa was the price. I think she was a gift. No, I think the price was all of this, this current arc of the show, this current plot of Greta's daughters having to deal with their aunt being released from the urn and the chaos that followed. It's fucked up no matter what. I think Elsa's powers are set up as hereditary, not the price for what Gerda did to Ingrid. Right. I mean, initially I thought that. And then that line that made my thoughts go down a dark path. Let's talk about costumes. I loved Helga's final costume, like that violet dress that she was wearing. It was very cute. And then Gerda's blue number when she traveled to see Grand Pabby. I thought that was adorable, too. Yeah, I loved the children's three outfits in the opening flashback. Uh, The true dresses on the older girls and the blouse and skirt combo on Gerda were very sweet. Their dresses are very cute. I thought their outfits in both the opening scenes as well as for the ball were some nice pieces of visual storytelling that let us know a little more about each sister through their personal styles. I mean, it was maybe a little costume fabric-y, but I really love Gerda's pink dress and then the little pink capelet she gets later on. But uh, does no one on this show know how to comb a wig out? Because we're seeing a return of the absolute trashed wig treatment we've seen with both Belle and Ariel. Because uh, flashback Ingrid's wig was a big old mess and it hurt my feelings. Yeah, I think they're messy for like adventure reasons or something, but like... There's such a big too, difference between much. like, it's a little, it's a little disheveled <laughs> because she's an active woman and being like, this thing just like... We gotta tease, we gotta tease the fuck thing out of this. This thing got thrown in the closet after the last <laughs> time we shot and we completely forgot it was there and we just shook it out a little and slapped <laughs> it on her before we started shooting again because yeah. we didn't have time to sit down with mane and tail and fix the situation. It's a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. I did notice that. It's time to play Who's That Guest Star? In Season 4, Episode 7, we have Sally Pressman as Helga. Pressman is mostly known for guest appearances on television, with credits in titles such as Good Girls, Younger, Nancy Drew, Grey's Anatomy, and Scandal. Then we have Jonathan Runyon as Duke Weaselton. Like Pressman, he is mostly known for guest appearances. His credits include Mad Men, Miami Medical, Lady Dynamite, Bones, and The West Wing. Brighton Sherbino as young Ingrid, easily the most recognizable of our guest stars. Brighton is known for her roles on The Walking Dead, Players, Zoe Valentine, and True Detective. All right, it's time to take a trip down Once Upon a Timeline. So this episode opens with the oldest flashback we have seen in Arendelle so far. There's no real details firmly placing these flashbacks in the Enchanted Forest timeline, other than Rumpelstiltskin's existence as the Dark One and the existing flashbacks we've seen so far in Arendelle. 
So if I had to guess, I would say this episode takes place sometime between the flashbacks and season one, episode five, That Still Small Voice, and season three, episode 18, Bleeding Through. And the episode with flashbacks that most closely follows the last flashback in this episode are those in season four, episode one, A Tale of Two Sisters, where Gerda's ship sinks during her travels to Misthaven. Time for some rants and raves. I played Stray Gods this weekend, which is a video game I've been actively following through its whole production, so I was delighted to get my hands on it finally. It's a musical RPG that has Greek mythology in a modern setting and also lets you romance people and lets you be as gay as you want, Mm. and I just love it. I love a musical. I love Greek mythology. I love a good RPG. It's by an indie studio, so there were some glitches and hiccups, but it's a great game, and I can't wait to see what else this studio does. I watched Lynn play Stray Gods, and it was fantastic. Anthony Rapp as Orpheus was everything. I mean, the whole cast was amazing. The whole cast were people I love. But Anthony Rapp, that's the love of a lifetime right there. And his Orpheus was... Orpheus was phenomenal. It was so good. We also watched Red, White, and Royal Blue, and it was very cute. It reminded me of my days in the BBC Merlin fandom. Also, I love that the most popular romantic comedy on streaming services this week is queer. It makes my sappy heart very happy. What's red, white, and royal blue about? It's about the Prince of England falling in love with the son of the President of the United States. Oh, it's schmaltzy, but it's yeah. very sweet. It's got a lot. Of, it's got a lot of heart. We have to support our schmaltzy queer stories. Yeah, it's it's a story that if it was a het romance, you'd be like, oh, Lord, this again. But you don't get to see just sweet romances with queer couples. Mm-hmm. And this was just a genuinely happy, sweet romance with a gay couple. And it was lovely. What streaming service? It's on Prime Video. OK, great. Good to know. So our friend Ariana and I went to see Peter Pan Goes Wrong by the same people from The Goes Wrong Show. It was honestly one of the best shows I've ever seen, and I haven't laughed that hard in a really long time. I'm so glad we went, and I recommend it to everyone. Even people who are lukewarm about theater, maybe even especially people who are lukewarm about live theater. I think you guys in particular will like it. I also watched the film Do Revenge, which, you know, was flawed, but I mean, what teen film isn't? But it was funny, and it was a visual feast, and I love Maya Hawk. And I really want a pastel school uniform now in my wardrobe because those uniforms were heckin' cute. Have you two seen that? No, mm-hmm. I was curious about it, though. It's the it's the one with with my hawk and Veronica from Riverdale, right? Yes. Yeah, I was I was curious about it. Like, I definitely was like, I feel like this isn't going to be anything to write home about, but I still want to watch it. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm very happy that I watched it. And I laughed. I laughed out loud, like at quite a few moments. But I would be very curious to get both of your thoughts on it. I mean, the genre that basically just comes down to hell as a teenage girl is one of my favorite things ever. Like a week ago, we did a double feature of Jawbreaker and Heathers. So I still need to see Jawbreaker. (laughs) I've seen Heathers a million one times, but I do need to see Jawbreaker. It was my first time seeing it, but I enjoyed it. Okay. But I like that whole horrible teenage girl subgenre. So I was interested. Okay, then I think you will like this. Before we wrap this up, I just I just want to give a shout out to all of you listening. I've been going through some some stuff. It's been a tough time. 
and being able to create this podcast and communicate with you. And this isn't the most popular podcast. We have a small audience, but we have a wonderful audience. And it's so cool to look back and see the work that we've done for this an episode from two years ago, an episode from one year ago, still be listened to is really cool that people are just now getting into the podcast, they're catching up. It's cool to like explore our stats and be like, oh, wow, you know, yesterday wasn't a release day, but 10 people listened to Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, nine people listened to Red Handed. How cool is that? Every day, there are people listening to us and they're listening to us from a week ago. They're listening to us from a month ago, from a year ago, from two years ago. And that's really cool. I just want to say thank you for listening and thank you for engaging. And I hope the Narratives 3 have brought some laughter to your lives. And thanks for all being part of our storybook, our tale of Once Upon a Time. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. In Arendelle, when the Snow Queen tries to pit Elsa and Anna against each other, it proves to be more difficult than she anticipates. Meanwhile, in Storybrooke, Emma's powers are out of control and her fear of hurting loved ones pushes her away from everyone she cares about. Meanwhile, Regina struggles with her plan to find the author of the storybook until her quest takes an unexpected turn <sighs> and Robin Hood, who we don't care about, recruits Will Scarlet, who we do care about, to assist him on a mission. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. The moral of this episode is, you can't just put all of your family problems in a jar. Visit us at Spotify for podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch if you enjoy once upon a rewatch please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice talk fairy tales with us on instagram at once upon rewatch on tumblr at once upon a rewatch the artwork for a podcast was by lychee ruru we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music kevin mcleod our intro music is frost waltz and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Henry is due to... <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs>